0: Thank you. Oh, lovely Tracy's going to speak to us. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for leading us so well. So today we're going to start a new series um, looking at growing our faith. So it's as though God organized it. What a great testimony to have to lead us into this uh, new series that we're going to have. Does anybody remember, if you've seen me pass them around before, or knows because you're, you know about these things, well, the size of a mustard seed? That's right, yeah, it's really, really tiny, a bit like a, a peppercorn or the top of a pinhead. And what's the promise from God? If we have faith as small as a mustard seed, you will move mountains, So it's not like we're asking for tons of this, is it? It's not like we need, wait until you have, like, a whole iceberg full of this uh, faith stuff. You just need a little bit, and amazing things can happen. Now, a bit like Joe and maybe um, Chris, some of my faith I realize in hindsight When we look back and we see where God was and what he was doing, we realize what was at work and then that helps our faith to go on and builds trust as we go forward. So today's start of a, uh, a new series over six weeks is looking at how can we have big faith? How can we have faith that moves mountains? How can we have faith that just allows us to know peace, to be calm, to not worry, and to not have anxiety. Anybody want that kind of faith? Yeah? And just imagine, and for those of you who you know, this, uh, have been Christians a long time, maybe you know, this is something that we all still need to keep on hearing. And maybe you're not quite made a commitment to Jesus yet, or maybe you're new to have following Jesus in your life, Maybe you're somebody who has followed and has been hurt by church or disbelief in God or something or other, and your journey has got interrupted and you're just starting to explore again. So what I want you to imagine, wherever you fit on that scale, what would your life look like if you had total belief and trust in God that everything, everything, would be okay so whatever temptations you face you could just realize and say it's fine I've got God God's going to get me through this and he's going to overcome me Oh, help me overcome it what happens if you had the kind of faith that you're so worried about a particular situation and you go hold on a minute I can take this to God and it's going to be fine I don't need to worry, do I? God, look at that, I wasn't any worrying. What does it matter? Let's just believe in God and he's going to get us through. And please don't think I've got this together. I am talking to myself this morning as well. What happens if you have the kind of faith that you lose something, a job or you know a disaster comes, you're faced with earth-shattering news about maybe your own fertility, your family's fertility, those big stuff the big stuff, and you go, it's fine, I've got God. And maybe you've met those kinds of people who always say, oh, don't worry about it, let's just pray. Maybe you know those people, my grandmother was one of those people who would always just go, let's just pray, let's just sit, have you read your Bible, let's just do this, everything will be fine, God is okay. And you know, I long to have that kind of faith that kind of faith, that no matter what, it's going to be okay. And we need people in that lo- in our lives who are like that. And sometimes we think, are they really on this planet? Do they not understand? Have they just heard the story I've told them at how bad things are or how stressed I am? Or, yeah, well, that's fine. But what about that? And we just think, you know, they're not of the real world, are they? Who who wants to live in that big bubble, that nice, easy place to be? But actually, that's what it's like to have a life of big faith. That's not living in a big bubble. That's not like living as though the real world doesn't exist. That is living a life of faith in complete trust and good relationship with God. It's faith. That's what faith looks like when you come across people who are like that. Apart from my grandmother, the other person I came across is this man. Some of you may know him, Suresh Kumar. He's the president of Harvest India. And about 15 years ago, something like that, 12, 15 years ago, and I'd just done a 36-hour door-to-door trip to go and meet him for the first time in India. And uh, I that not remember if it was the first time. So anyway, it was a short, Yeah, it was the first time I met him. And, uh, and, you know, I was expecting that they'd allow me to be shown to my room. I would be able to use the shower facilities. I might be fed. I might be asked about my journey. They might even actually ask my name. They might ask about my family. That was the conversation I thought I was going to have after 36 hours of traveling, which is why those of you who went to India a couple of years ago, I cannot believe the luxury you arrived in. But anyway, my first trip was very different. So um, I arrived there, and I sit down in this kind of little um, room um, where there was two seats, and because I had just traveled, I was allowed to have one of them, um, but everybody else sat on the, sat on the floor. And Suresh starts saying, well, you know, we've done this. We had um, 300 children just turned up one day after the tsunami of 1994. And uh, we just had to put them up and we had to find clothes for them. We had hardly any food. But the next day food arrived and somebody else went and did this and did that. And all of a sudden, within 24 hours, they were housing and feeding 300 children. So I'm a little bit impressed at this point, forgetting that I probably stank, for probably fact that I was really hungry, and all those kinds of things. And, uh, and then they started saying, well, yesterday we were praying for, um, there's a piece of land next to our campus, and we really believe that God has told us that's going to be our land. And there's this rich, important person in India who owns it, and he's probably, you know, everybody thinks he's not going to give us, but God has told us he's going to give us this land. And what we did is we went out and we put the spade in the ground and we prayed. You know, we took ownership in the spiritual uh, world for this piece of land. And when we were there um, 18 months ago, that land is now part of the campus and they're building a dentistry hospital on that site, which will be opening hopefully sometime soon. So you see, and for about six hours, those are the stories I listened to. It went on and on and on about the nursing colleges, about women they were rescuing from uh, prostitution, from people uh, people with leprosy, people who were starving, people who were in the Dalits cleaning out the sewers who nobody would feed. It just went on and on and on. And my head was like, well, I'm a bit of a pathetic Christian, really. You know I might pray for a parking space I very rarely do that now but you know when we think about what people are praying for and what they do and what they but this isn't just oh we, we you know it'd be really great if that happened it was this is what God has told us so it's going to happen and we're just waiting for that day this you know God said it so it's going to happen and that's how they were living their faith and I just thought that's big faith and I was just like wow yeah, you know, you have a lot of faith. And he looked at me and he went, those of you who know Suresh and have heard him preach, he kind of goes, we've got a big God who owns the universe. Why would he not do big things? What's the point of having little prayers if you, if, when you've got a big God? And I still try and remember, and I have to take myself back to that place because it's so often we just get swamped with the stuff of the world, isn't it? And we forget <laughs> what it is to have faith, to believe that if God wants it to happen, it's going to happen. If God has promised that he wants you to have the best life ever, is it going to happen? If God says, I've sent my son so he dies, so that not only are you forgiven, you are broken from the power of sin that traps you in the things that aren't good for you because I want you to have a full life. Is he lying? And that's the God we serve. That's the faith he wants us to have. And wasn't it great last week, listening to Ray and meeting Sarah and Ray, you know? And I just felt, wow, I felt a bit convicted because of the faith that they have to go out and do the work that they're doing in the Philippines. I've let this world come in a bit of me and let that faith disappear. That we have a massive God, who loves us, who wants us to do great things, who wants us to be broken from the things that do us so much bad. He wants us to be happy. Can you believe that? God wants you to be happy. You really don't believe that, do you? Hey? Who wants to be happy? Yes. Who wants to have fun? Who wants to have joy? Yes. Thank you, Tim. Yes. Everybody, this is the life that god wants you to have whatever you're going through whatever worry just imagine if you could just go god i'm going to trust you to make sure it's okay to find me a way it doesn't mean to say that boof the next minute is going to be there and so there's a fairy who's just done some kind of you know magic Spell or something like that. That's not what we're talking about. That is not faith. That is not relying on God. God might lead you that you have to go and do something for that. Maybe swallow your pride. Maybe kind of deal with something. But that's the journey God wants you to do. He he said, you know, Jesus said to his disciples, okay, if you want to follow me, that's great. I'll have you. And it's still the same today. Come follow me, but know the price. Know the price. Yes, you can have all of this. There's lots on offer for you. Freedom. Less worry. No worry. Less stress. No stress. But you are going to have to work at this. You are going to have to do it my way. And maybe some of us are quite familiar with the story of Adam and Eve, where God had given them everything, perhaps like what we would do. Sometimes when I'm feeling pretty rubbish, I think, Oh, Adam and Eve, why did you do that? You know, wouldn't it have just been good if we could just live in that life where we're walking with God and we're meeting him on the beach and we're walking through the woods and we chat with God and it's all there and we can share with him exactly what we're feeling and it's all great. And I just think, why did they do that? Now the issue is, is they didn't trust God. What he'd said about the tree, they didn't trust him. Doubt had come in. Fear had come in, worry had come in. Before that incident, they didn't worry what they looked like. They didn't worry about wearing clothes or those kinds of things. I assume it was warm enough that they didn't have to worry about clothes, but, you know, that was how they were. And then afterwards, when they'd listened to somebody else, doubt comes in, worry comes in, fear comes in, shame comes in, pride comes in, and in an instant, that relationship with God is broken. The trust is broken. And now we're in a time where we have to regain that relationship. It was was there for all of us, and it just got broken. And now we live in a time where we have to be the ones reaching back to God to rekindle that relationship to get things working. So it's not about obedience. Sometimes we think it is about obedience. If only Adam and Eve had done what they're told then we would be be much better. It's not the obedience. Have you ever been in a prison? Have you ever been in a dictatorship? Have you ever been... Obedience can make people do stuff. When people are forced to do stuff in not good surroundings, you know, we remember things from the Second World War uh, with uh, um, the Holocaust and things like that. You know, I really believe that the prison guards, why did they do what they do? Because they needed to be obedient out of fear that is not what god wants for any of us it's not about obedience that comes later through choice it's about trust do we trust god are we in a relationship with him and then the rest comes those are the big decisions that we need make if we think about the um, israelites when they were in egypt as that story moves on through genesis we see that they're crying out they're slaves you know their children are being killed because they decided that there was too many of them and they didn't they wanted to reduce the numbers and god hears their cries and rescues them the rescuing is the relationship with his people again He wanted Israel to know the world, to have a relationship with Israel so that the rest of the world could see what it was like to be in a relationship with God. And so, by rescuing them, by following what God was offering, to leave, to put the the lamb's blood above their house. If you don't know the story, you can look it up in Genesis. To leave, to cross through the water, was all because they trusted God. They trusted what was being said. And having trusted and having seen what happened, they're then in a relationship. And once they're in a relationship, God then says, look, to be in a relationship with me, let me just show you how to live. Let me show you 10 good things that would be good for you to follow in your life. And we know them now as the 10 commandments. He didn't go in Egypt (laughs) Here's my 10 commandments. These are the rules I want you to follow. And if you follow them, okay, maybe we'll do 9 out of 10 or 8 out of 10. Then I'll do this. That's not who God is. It is not a relationship based on obedience and being seen or actually doing good. That's not a relationship. The relationship came first. The trust came first. And then God introduced the ways in which If you want to be my people, this is how you need to live. And the story, the Old Testament is full of stories who people saw, who weren't uh, been born into the Israel family and said, actually, I want a piece of that. I'm going to join. And they joined. So it's not like it was an exclusive club. God used them as an example of what it was like to be God's family And he does the same for us today. That's the offer of what Christianity is. That's the offer that God wants to do. He wants to rescue you from wherever you are. And sometimes people who do have their life all sewn up, all good, it's going tickety-boo, they don't need anything else, can't see the need of God. And maybe this is why, I don't know. Because some people, when life is good, do then start exploring. I don't know how God works that out. But what I do know is that you need to start with a relationship. You can't just come in and think, well, I'm following life and doing all of that, that, and being obedient, I don't kill anybody, I don't steal, I don't do all of these things that are listed in the Ten Commandments. Surely that puts me in a relationship with God. That's not how it works. He asks us to trust him. He says, look, I want you to be free. I've sent you my son and he's died for you so that you can be forgiven and you can be set free. Come and have a relationship with me. And when we trust him, and we start to find out more and more about who he is, we want to do what he says because we believe that his promises are true. He's not going to tell us to do stuff that's going to be harmful for us. That's the offer of what Christianity is. It's about a relationship of trust uh, and building on that. Those are the things that I want to put out today are the things that grows faith. And we're gonna look at some bits in the Bible now to see how does Jesus start to look at faith and what does faith look at and then I wanna talk to us about the next couple of weeks and what we're going to be doing as we go through. So in Matthew 8, part of the New Testament and somebody who was around with Jesus and wrote up all of the things that they saw Jesus doing? And he says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go. Go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So his disciples are following Jesus around, and he does a miracle. Because the leper could see that Jesus was the one who could heal him. And Jesus is going, great, this is wonderful, be clean. Go and tell the priest. You know, we've followed through, now I need you to follow through the next part so that others may hear. And it's all very exciting, isn't it? God does these kind of miracles. People want these kind of miracles today. Do we need to have leprosy back again so that we can have these kind of of miracles? What are you going through that has the same impact in your life that somebody with leprosy has? Because that's what God is talking about. This is just one example of what God can do when we have faith to be repaired to be unbroken, to be fixed by him, to be put back together, to have our hearts healed, to have our addictions dealt with, go to Jesus and when we believe in him and we know who he is, he says be healed, be clean, start again, go away, don't go back to the former ways. Story after story after story in the Bible, we see some of this happening. Let's move on in the same uh, gospel, the same chapter of the Bible, and see a little bit more. And this is quite exciting, um, and I'll explain why I think this is really exciting. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, Lord. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof but just say the word and my servant will be healed for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes and I say to my servant do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this he was amazed and said to those following truly I tell you I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Jesus was amazed. Amazed. So let's just unpack this story a little bit more. Everybody understand what a centurion is? A Roman soldier who would have had a hundred people underneath him. He probably would have been big and strong and towered over people. And his authority probably entered a room five minutes before he did. You know, it's the kind of person who would go, oh, there's a centurion. So you've got the Roman army thinking that about him. For the Jewish people there, he is an oppressor. He is somebody they hated. He is somebody who was bringing ruin into their land, the land that God had given them. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, my servant lies at home paralyzed. And Jesus, just like he'd done time and time again, had said, okay, shall I come? I'm quite happy to come and heal him. Is that what you want me to do? You know, Jesus always doesn't assume what people say. When he says, you know, my servant lies at home paralyzed, Jesus doesn't go, okay, I'll come and do this. He always clarifies, well, what is it you want me to do? What is it you're asking of me? He might just want to share it with him and tell him this is the news. But Jesus says, what is it that you want me to do? Do you want me to come and, 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 and uh, pray for him and heal him? And he says, Lord, whoa, hold on a minute. Hold on, no. Like in my position, I have loads of authority. If I want to tell someone to go and do I have this whole millions of people to do things for me, so I don't run around doing things. The power and the authority that you have, he recognizes this power and this authority that Jesus had. He knew what power he had. He knew what authority that he had under the Roman uh, Empire, and he could see that the power that Jesus had was way bigger was more powerful and more mighty than anything he had ever seen before. And he was like, why would you come? You know, why would you? The the fact that you could just pray, surely that will do it. You know, he wasn't saying, come, bring your disciples, let's have three days of fasting, let's pray, lay on hands, make sure you've got holy water, let me be baptized first, teach me the scriptures first. It wasn't any of that. He just said, You just knowing about it will make it okay. And Jesus said he was amazed. He had not seen this type of faith in the whole of Israel. And I was trying to think, what does that work out to be like? And last night, somebody who I share my house with was a little bit happy that Southampton lost at the football yesterday. And that's when the idea came to me. This is like, I don't even know who the captain or who the manager of Portsmouth is at the moment. Who's his name? Who's the captain of Portsmouth? Jack. Kenny Jackie. Kenny Jackie. Jacket. Sorry, such a good football fan I am. So Kenny Jacket, I think it's the same as Kenny Jacket saying to all of the Portsmouth players and people, well, the Southampton people are better than you. Yeah? Do you get what I mean? Because the Israelite, he's saying for all of the Israelite people, maybe I should use a Liverpool example. <laughs> Liverpool, Everton, it's that kind of scenario. <laughs> the people that the Jewish people, God's people, hated, didn't like, were oppressing them, Jesus says, look at them. Look at the faith of that one man. It's way bigger than any of you have ever had. And he was amazed. In fact, it's the only time in the Bible that this is used to describe Jesus' emotions. Never ever in the Bible does it say he was amazed as much as he was of the faith of this centurion, who just believed the fact that Jesus knew his situation, it would get done. That's big faith. And God is saying, you need that. Small as a mustard seed. You have this faith, you're going to move mountains. And you might think, well, I don't want to rearrange the South Downs. Well, that's good. I don't think anybody does. But what are the mountains that you're facing? or What are the struggles that you are facing in your life that you go, I just want them to go, will nobody help me? Will somebody come? Will you have a Lord and Savior who wants to do just that? And he says, come, trust me, let's be in relationship Because if you want to impress Jesus, if you want him to go, wow, and be amazed, it's going to be in your faith. It's not going to be the amount of hours that you put in, in your Bible reading, and how much you can remember off by heart. Sorry, guys, it's really helpful, but that does not impress Jesus. It is your faith of believing in him and trusting in him and stepping out. That's what impresses Jesus. And I wish it could be more tangible, not just for you, just being selfish right now. I wish faith looked so much more tangible that I could wrestle with it better and it would be easier and I could help show it to people more. But that's what faith is. And that's what we're gonna be doing over these next five weeks is looking at how can I have the faith of the centurion? How can I have the faith that's gonna keep me going strong, that's gonna help me run this race and that when we do come face to face with Jesus, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. This is the life we're signing up for. This is the life that those of you who haven't signed up for it, I hope you do want to sign up for it because in my experience, it's certainly the best and easiest way to live. So what grows our faith? What are the things that allow us to have the faith of the centurion? Well, there's been lots of studies done, lots of things have happened over time, and we try and learn from it and uh, try and get to grips with what it is. If only I could do this, if, you know, if only I could memorize the whole Bible, then i will really be, have a strong faith, won't I? If only I could pray for two hours every day, I'm going to have the best faith. Well, all of those things are really important. But one of the things that I want to share with you over the next few weeks is some studies that have been done that has a look about our whole spiritual journey, our whole way of life, the way in which we do things that not only allows us to have those highs, but gets us through those lows of our spiritual journey as well. Because to be honest, and let's be honest, because there is no point in not being honest if we're authentic about our faith. And as Joe shared, there are times when you think, am I just a little bit mad? Am I the crazy one in the world that believes in God and follows all of this? And is it true? Am I just following a hoax? It's the things that gets us through those times. So what are they? I'm gonna go through them, but then over the next few weeks, we are going to uh, look at them in a bit more detail. So they've been grouped into five areas, five principles, if you like. One is teaching. Where do you learn about God? Where do you find out about him? Things like here right now, listening on a Sunday morning, being part of a house group, going, people, some of you here doing alpha, those types of things, things that we do in the recovery group, messy church. All these things that we do that allow us to learn. Where do we learn some information? It's not about learning lots. It's not about knowledge. It's just about one of the things that we have where we can learn. The second one is called providential um, relationships. So this might be people that you meet along the way that you've bumped into, that have said something or done something for you. I've just shared with you, my grandma and uh, Suresh are people who were very uh, important in my faith and in my, in my journey. They're the people who have amazed me and have been there. It might be your house group, people who've been around you. you know, in my particular role, Jane, when she was church secretary, Michelle, they are really important people to me in helping me be a church leader here. So pray for them. Uh, <laughs> that it's important people that you might bump into or help, and you think, oh, actually, it was that person who invited you to church, who's helped you and sat with you, cried with you, prayed with you through difficult times. So it's who are those relationships that we might have. The next one is our own private discipline. So yes, I'm not saying you don't need to read your Bible or fast. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's part of the mix. You need to have your own good private disciplines of reading the Bible, of fasting, of praising, of worshipping and of giving time to listening to God. These are the things that are important. Personal ministry Sorry about the photos, I know there's quite a lot on there, but I was just having a quick look on Facebook of the things that we do as a church. You know, we did go to India. Some of you have done other things. We're hearing from Ray, from Tear Fund, and from Gary in uh, Mallorca, understanding personal ministry. Julie's been over there a couple of times now. The things that we do, running groups for children, the recovery group, food banks, Soul Survivor have got on there, a Christmas dinner, who let the dads out, just a flavor of some of the things that you can get involved in to serve, to stretch you. You know, when you kind of think, oh, what am I doing on this plane to India? How did I end up here? How did I end up on this plane to Spain? Why am I walking down the strip in Magaluf? All those kinds of things. Why am I a street pastor? Why am I out on the street praying for people? These are the things. Do make us feel uncomfortable? (coughs) But by stepping out, just as Moses did when he put his foot on the Red Sea, things happen and God says, that's where I want you to be. When you are totally dependent on faith in God and trust in God, then you have a relationship. Those of you who have married or have been married, you know you can't really live with someone unless you trust them, unless you have a relationship. If you cannot trust your spouse, it doesn't work you are going to have problems. And it's the same with God. You need trust and you need a relationship and have faith is going to be there for you when you need him. Pivotal circumstances. This is another area that we've um, identified as being something where what happens in this circumstance is what impacts your faith. So what do you do when something big happens? Like you get a diagnosis of illness, you lose your job, somebody dies, you get divorced. What do you do? Do we do what the world does, or do we run to God? So this is about how we respond. And what we're going to look at in the in the next few weeks is actually by keeping the rest of them, the other four, strong, it helps us in this circumstance if you're not in, uh, in, in good relationships with people, if you're not studying, if you're not learning, if you're not serving, if you detach and unplug yourself from things and you're just hanging on with a thread to one thing, when a disaster comes, or even when a joyful come, thing comes and it, it's, it, it's happy and it's good, actually the first thing that comes under attack is your faith. You need a balance over all of these things. So, what can we do? I would say, keep yourself be aware of those things. And in a moment, actually, I'll do that now. I'll give you. Um, I've listed them all down. You can either keep them as a Bible bookmark for the next few weeks. want to take one and pass them along, where I've listed these things out. And perhaps over this study, you can start to think about these areas. Not a tick list. This is not. A, if I get a tick in each box, I'm doing fine. My faith is okay. Let's get away from legalistic thinking. What I want you to think about is your journey. Where have you had these things happen? Where do you not have them happen? Can you do something about it? This is about helping you explore what has impacted on your faith. What are the big things that have helped? uh, Yeah. But these are the reasons why, as a church, I think it's important that we do have mission trips. Why we go to New Wine, why we like the kids to go to Soul Survivor, why the guys go to CVM, whatever conference you might go to or is important to you, it's important that you do these things. You have things that stretch you and allow you to grow. It's why we encourage people to be in a, in a house group because we think it's really important that you get to know people, you study people with people, you trust people and you can create Those important people around in your life. You know, when um, you have um, big things happen, uh, you know, good things. So, for instance, uh, some of you might know or might not know, it's my fault I didn't put it in the notices, but Gemma, our administrator, she got engaged this week. This is so exciting, isn't it? And uh, they set the date for next year, and it's all really exciting. Now, I've known Gemma for over 10 years, and you know, I just know that that's going to be a massive party and a massive celebration because of the people she's had in her life. You know, she's been a, a, a dad's been a minister at Kosher Baptist Church now for over 20 years, and there's been lots of people in their lives. And you know, you can just see that everyone's going to be so excited for them on their wedding day because they've had people speak into their life, they've had youth group leaders, they've had all of those types of things. And isn't that a great thing? If you've got kids, don't you want that for your kids when they grow up? That there's people speaking into their lives and helping them on their journey. That isn't just you. Yeah, anybody who's been a parent and going, I wish somebody would come and talk to her and find out. Who can they go and speak to? It's not me, keep nagging, keep doing all these kinds of things. That's why church family is so, so. So important. So we want you to, this is, this is part of what drives and what we do because we know this is what grows people's faith. These are the things that are important. And as you know, because I know you do know, our mission here is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. So it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't how, matter how long you've known Jesus, it doesn't matter how long you've been going to this church, all we want you to be doing is growing from where you are, not to stay still and definitely not to go backwards. That's who we are. And my question to you as you go around and think about your faith, do you want to be like that centurion where Jesus was amazed, amazed by the faith that he had? And actually, let's not hide the fact that the servant did get healed just from that conversation. Jesus didn't go. You know, he was healed. So great things happen when we have great faith, where we're in good relationship with God and we trust him with everything in our lives. He is faithful, he is good, and he is unchanging. Shall we pray? Our heavenly Father, Remind us today, because we're so forgetful, we're so fickle, of how great you are, of how wonderful you are, of how you love us, and how you trust us, and how you want a relationship with us. Lord, we thank you that when we're far off, or when we're close and we still do stupid things, You have faith in us. You see us for the person you've created us to be. And we thank Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace that we need every day. So come, Lord, pour it out on us all. Let us know again of your great mercy and your great grace. And Lord, our prayer is, stretch us. Make us feel uncomfortable so that our faith may grow. And we ask this in the mighty, precious name of Jesus. And maybe today you want to say, God, I want to come back into a good relationship with you. Maybe today is the day you're going to say, Lord, I want faith like that centurion. And maybe some of you are sitting here thinking, oh my gosh, look how far I wandered. Look how far I stopped trusting. And the great thing is, is that our heavenly father says it's okay just say I'm sorry forgive me Lord let's begin again let's begin again